This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 13. Today's episode is all about food, feelings, and addiction. The truth is food, drugs, alcohol, overworking, overspending, they are all just symptoms of a bigger problem. And it's usually things within ourselves that we're unwilling to be with. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hey, everyone. So how many of you eat your feelings? Most people think emotional eating or using food to make yourself feel better is due to a lack of self-control, but that's rarely the case. In fact, it usually boils down to something much deeper. Eating can trigger the same addictive tendencies as drinking or even codependency. What's usually happening, whether we realize it or not, is that we latch onto external things to fill some sort of void we're feeling inside. But understanding this and being aware of it is half the battle. Being aware means we can find the root of the problem and mend our wounds from the inside out. Today we're talking to an inspiring woman named Lisa Carpenter, a nutrition and life coach with over two decades in the health and fitness industry. Her mission is to empower people to connect with their emotions, drop the judgment, and create lasting change, both physically and emotionally. We dive into everything from the relationship between feelings and food to how that relates to other types of addictions and how we can start to rewire our brains to create habits that leave us healthier and happier. Plus, she's about to launch an amazing book called Let's Eat, but I'll let her tell you all about it. Welcome, Lisa. So you've already been hugely successful, but now you're launching your first book. What originally inspired you to write your book? I love this question because I've never been inspired to write a book. So we'll just start with that. It was never a dream that was on my radar. And I think very much like you, it's because I'd never believed in myself enough to write a book, right? Like that just seemed like this big audacious goal. And who was I to write a book? And the, the truth is, you know, I wrote the book because it is a compilation of my almost two decades worth of work with women around food in their body. And as much as I want to, <laughs> I want to smash the belief that you have to lock yourself into, you know, your closet, put your head down and not talk to people for a year to write a book. That's not the case. I got a lot of help. This book would not have gotten written, written if I hadn't have had help. And what we did was we transcribed all of my work, all of it. We put it in a big pile and then me and my writer that I that I hired to help me, Joshua, we sorted through all of it, we organized it, and we were able to come out with a finished project by collaborating, right? So I needed his expertise in terms of organizing content in a way that wasn't like, okay, here's a fire hose, drink from it, right? To, to give people enough that they really could get a sense of my work and I also needed his help in me getting out of my own way so that I could get the book out into the world because it, it's a really great place for people to experience my work in a non-intrusive way, right? Like we can all pick up a, a book and read it in the you know comfort of our living room without having to be face-to-face -face with, a, with a coach, right? So it gives, it gives people a really good taste of, of my work, but it was an experience writing it. A struggle that I always hear coming from entrepreneurs is letting go of that control over their baby or their project. So bringing on extra help is often a scary thing to do. What was the process like of finding someone to collaborate with that you fully trusted with your vision? 100%. So 
like I said, in order for me to even get to that point where I was able to write the book meant I had to do a lot of work around the beliefs that I held with myself around what that was going to look like. And part of what I've been working through over the years is letting go of things like perfectionism, control, people pleasing. So I'm at a place now where I just I don't have to know every detail. And as long as I can collaborate with somebody and they're open to my feedback and I'm open to theirs, then, you know, the project moved forward. So luckily he came to me, you know, through my network, he was referred to me. So I kind of trusted him out of the gate because my colleagues who were referring him trusted him. And if you're going to go into a a process like that where you're hiring somebody, if you're not willing to put your guard down and trust them to be the expert that they are, you're not going to get very far. True. And if you want other people to start trusting you, then you've got to put your trust in other people as well, I suppose. Your book talks about the relationship women have with food and their bodies. Why do you think there is such a deep connection between food and feelings? (laughs) Well, Okay, so it's so easy for us to look at food as the problem. It's so easy for us to look at, well, if I just lost that 20 pounds, then I would feel better. But the truth is food, drugs, alcohol, uh, overworking, overspending, they are all just symptoms of a bigger problem. And it's usually things within ourselves that we're unwilling to be with. So we all find ways to kind of sabotage ourselves or not allow ourselves to feel good enough or worthy enough. So food is one of the, you know, food is is something that people use to numb or move away from how they're feeling, right? So think about it. You have a fight with your husband. Oh, better get some Ben and Jerry's, right? Or we've all had those breakup moments. Um, Your kids, you know, they do a they do something great out on the sports field and the team all goes out for pizzas and Slurpees. So we're constantly looking at food as a way to make us feel better as a reward. So it's so ingrained with us that we just kind of default to it as a way to make ourselves feel better. And then of course there's all the addictive properties that come along with food, the, you know, neurotransmitters that are running in terms of dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. There's so many different things driving our behaviors with food and the relationship that we're having with ourselves. That's why it's such a a powerful mood altering thing. But as long as we keep looking at it as being the problem instead of the symptom, we'll get stuck in that diet cycle like indefinitely. That makes perfect sense in even more than just food. If we're constantly looking for happiness outside of ourselves or that external validation, then we're literally putting our happiness and our health in the control of someone or something else. Right. So you have to start finding that happiness and cultivating it within yourself in order for it to be something lasting and something real because happiness does not come from being skinny. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's easy to say, well, I'm just going to set better goals. But the truth is our actions always follow our beliefs. So if we have an unconscious belief that we're not deserving to be in a body that we love and appreciate, we're never going to follow through on letting ourselves lose weight and feel good in our skin. So it starts with, at a core level, changing what we believe to be true about who we are and our relationship with food. We have to start recognizing that we're having a relationship with both and kind of dissecting you know, how we formulated that relationship. Like, when did you start feeling badly about your body? When did you start using food to try and fix everything, right? It's when we start to kind of just get curious about those relationships, we can start to find things that we didn't even realize were part of what was getting in the way from us having, um, you know, results that we can keep. What in your personal journey inspired this passion around the connection between food and feelings? Oh, it's, it's a long journey. Um, so I started out as a personal fitness coach, right? So I started out as a, as a personal fitness trainer and grew a business from there and then slowly realized it didn't really matter how many reps or sets people are doing in the gym. If you don't pay attention to the food you're putting in your body and, and how you're showing up for yourself in the kitchen, nothing really changes. So I decided to 
change my physique by entering into fitness and figure competitions and because I'm a total hands-on learner. And then I wanted to take kind of what I learned in those worlds, but marry it into real life people. Like how could I fundamentally teach people how to build a framework for their nutrition that they could continually grow on? So I took all those lessons and started to build out this framework, which I called EAT, which stands for Education, Action, Transformation. And I carried on as a coach and I, you know, grew the successful program. And then the bottom kind of fell out of my world when I found out that my husband was struggling with addiction. So I had my two preteen sons, I had a six month old baby. Um, I'd been a coach for many years, yet I didn't see what was right in front of me. And we can't be in our stuff and on it at the same time. So as much as I can see other people and support them and help them, I hadn't realized the stuff that I was standing in for myself. So I really approached that time of my life with a, okay, I'm going to fix this. I need to fix this. And I came very quickly face to face with the fact that there was nothing to fix. And it wasn't about repairing my relationship with my husband. It was about coming you know, face to face with the relationship that I was having with myself and recognizing how destructive that was. So he was struggling with his own addictions and I was struggling with behavior addictions like control, people pleasing, caretaking, approval seeking, these things that really get in the way of us being who we really are. So that really started this journey of unraveling and ironically, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to my, me in my life ended up being the best thing. It tied my work up with a big red bow because addiction was the missing piece, like understanding how all these addictive behaviors or using substances or whatever it may be was really to mask not feeling the feelings that we're having, whether it's depression, disconnection, feeling insecure. So I was able to take all that learning and go, okay, this is the missing piece why people are still struggling because here's the tools, like I've given them the framework to how to eat and how to build it all out themselves, but why were they still struggling? So not only did it transform my personal life and who I am personally, but it completely transformed my career and the direction that my business has continued to grow into and evolve into. So now beyond working with women and their body and foods, I'm also working with successful leaders who want to take their leadership to the next level. And it's not their lack of strategies or systems or funnels or whatever it is that's holding them back from the greatness that they seek in the world. It's their lack of connection to themselves. So this is where, you know, feeling your feelings, which nobody wants to do, said nobody to me ever, please, Lisa, let me help me feel my feelings. But that really is the key is allowing ourselves to fully experience what's going on for in our lives and where we're uncomfortable and where we're afraid and, and just the things we're trying to avoid. Right. And I'm actually so glad you brought this up because I was just interviewing an amazing meditation and spiritual teacher named Craig Holiday, who will be a mind love guest in a few weeks. So get excited for that. Well, we were talking about suffering and how it's really a gift that we should fully embrace by feeling into our pain. We often have these seemingly noble goals of transcending these negative or scary feelings, but really all we're doing in that is avoiding them. So feeling into these feelings, Craig says, is one of the first steps to enlightenment. So when we allow ourselves to fully experience our pain without judgment, we unlock deeper levels of consciousness. And then you stop being afraid of fear and you stop being afraid of anger and sadness and you begin to welcome them because they're really a doorway to something greater. And it sounds like that was your experience yeah. as well, dealing with addiction. It is. You know, when we just allow ourselves to be curious about our emotions instead of judging them. So I talk emo about emotions like a rainbow, right? A rainbow is beautiful because it's all these different shades, right? So if you look at our emotions, we get joy, we get excitement, we have enthusiasm, and then we've got like sadness and anger and grief and all those like dark emotions that nobody wants to talk about. 
But if we cut out half of our range of emotions, it would be like a rainbow with one stripe of color. It wouldn't be very spectacular. As human beings, we get to feel our entire lives, right? And this is what I talk about with full frontal living. It's actually allowing ourselves to experience and feel everything and not be afraid of. So when you wake up and you're having a great day and you're like, I feel amazing and awesome, you don't stop and question, why do I feel so good? I, I should... I should do something so I don't feel so good. This isn't this isn't good for me. But when we feel anger or anxiety or grief or sadness, what do we do? This doesn't feel good. How do I turn this off? How do I make myself better? What do I need to do to feel better? And this is why we turn to things like food and drugs and alcohol and overspending and overexercising and sex and all those kind of good things. So not good things, but you know what I'm saying. If you say they're good, who am I to argue? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's, it's a, the willingness to give ourselves permission to feel into that doesn't mean you have to stay in it and marinate in it, but just allow yourself to acknowledge that it's there, not make it wrong and then say, okay, what can I do to help myself feel better? That's actually healthy and supportive, right? So feeding yourself a tub of Ben and Jerry's, if you're not feeling good in your body is not going to help you feel better. It might initially but then you're going to be back into that spiral of shame and guilt. Why did I eat the ice cream? Whereas reaching out and talking to a friend and sharing how you're feeling or going for a walk or listening to music or dancing in your living room will make you feel better. And it's not just a temporary feel better. It's a supportive of how you want to feel in the long term in your life. I completely agree. Because when you are feeling into those feelings, you reach this part of yourself that is so authentically you that you end up attracting the exact right people and the exact right situations into your life. Whereas when you're drowning all of that out in order to avoid this human part of you, 
then all of a sudden you realize you're unhappy with your life or you're unhappy with your partner or the people you've attracted aren't your real friends or whatever it is. But really, you've been masking this huge part of yourself, so the life you've created might be perfect for that mask that you put on, but not for you. And you may not even remember or have truly ever gotten to know the real you. Exactly, right? So when it comes to food and, you know, wine, it's it's not making these things wrong. Like sometimes you just want to have Ben and Jerry's because you want Ben and Jerry's. And sometimes you want to have a glass of wine because you just want to have a glass of wine. What I help people step into is making conscious choices. So I personally don't drink anymore because I found I was using drinking as a way when I would go to like a party because I'm more naturally introverted and I had a lot of insecurities I was working through. So it took the edge off. And I realized I don't want to go to something if I feel like I have to take the edge off. So if I can't show up fully as me, insecure and maybe awkward sometimes, then I'd rather not go. Like I'd rather be uncomfortable and be with those feelings of discomfort than try and numb it out. Same thing with food. Like if you want to have a cookie because your mom made like the best, you know, chocolate chip cookies, then have a cookie. It's There's a very big difference between making a conscious choice about something versus I'm going to eat a bag of cookies because I had a crappy day, I didn't sleep well, and I had a fight with my husband. This will help me feel better. There's a really big difference. So there's no, we have to stop, you know, making, judging food, making it right or wrong. And it really does come down to taking radical responsibility for how we want to feel and making conscious choices. When you were on that journey of addiction with your husband, did you learn anything about addiction that you didn't know before or that was eye-opening to you? I think there's a really big stigma around addiction, what we think it looks like, right? It's the homeless guy under the bridge with the dog begging on the corner. And addiction looks like the person sleeping next to us in our bed, looks like the father and mothers to our kids it looks like our grandparents it looks like professionals who are doing phenomenal things in the world we have to break the stigma and the truth is for all the people that are wrestling with substance abuse there are just as many people like me who grew up um, being impacted by addiction because there was a lineage in my family so codependent behaviors are not going to kill me right like people-pleasing and control and caretaking and perfectionism aren't going to kill me. But let me tell you, they are absolutely just as destructive. They were just as destructive in my life as my husband's addictions. And in fact, I've often joked with him. He's, you know, he's been sober now for six years. I've often joked with him that I, like, he's never relapsed. I've relapsed a gazillion times. Like, oh my gosh, I'm caught back up in perfectionism. Because these behaviors that I adopted as a way to protect myself and survive in the world became like breathing for me. I didn't know any different. I didn't know there was another perspective. I didn't understand that I didn't have to say yes to everything and that I didn't have to do everything for everybody or try and control all the pieces. And when I learned that I didn't have to do those things, it was very uncomfortable. So as much as we want to point the fingers at people who, like I said, are struggling with substance abuse, I think there are more people who are struggling with codependent behaviors that are toxic in their personal lives, in their business lives, how they're parenting their kids. And that's what I'm really passionate about. In my family, hopefully, because we have these conversations and we've all gone through it, I'm hoping that we break some of these patterns moving forward, that my kids now, I get to have conversations with my kids around feelings and being open and we talk through things. That's not how I was brought up. And it's not a slam against my parents, right? I think every generation gets a little bit more enlightened. But it's the more conversations we can have about these things, the more like I said, we can break this kind of lineage because addiction just keeps like it keeps getting perpetuated from generation to generation to generation. And often we don't even realize how much it's impacted us because we're like, well, I don't live with the addict anymore. That's not in my life. So I'm good now. You're not good because it has impacted you. You just don't realize the impact it's had on you. Yeah, it's crazy. The more I really go deep into studying the brain and realizing how neural connections are created, the more I'm beginning to understand that 
If you experience something, it's most likely affected you in some way, no matter what it is. Right. We are a culmination of our experiences and how we react to them. Mm-hmm. A big part of the inspiration for this podcast was sharing my experience with my eating disorder. And for the longest time, it was my biggest, most shameful secret. But when I did open up and start sharing these things that I had gone through with other people, one after the other, I could see that I had struck a chord with people and I could just tell it was exactly what they needed to hear at that time. So sometimes we don't realize that sharing our stories isn't really about talking about ourselves. It can be a critical part of our own healing journeys, but it can also help other people to feel less alone. Shame can't live in the light. It cannot live in the light. So the things that we are terrified to be with, when we bring them out into the light and acknowledge them, they no longer hold us hostage. And this is my, you know, this is my challenge around addiction is, you know, breaking the stigma around it. Because as much as I love, you know, communities like AA and NA and OA, and there's an anonymous for everything, we almost perpetuate the belief that there's something fundamentally wrong with these people. And there isn't, like there isn't. Whether you're struggling with bulimia, anorexia, like overeating, like there's so many different things. What it comes down to is we are all just doing our best to fit in and we're lacking a connection with ourselves, like a deeper connection with ourselves and connection with other people, right? So these behaviors come out because we're trying to compensate for an area in our life where we don't feel good enough, that we don't belong, that we're not worthy of love. So... Thank you for sharing your journey with me and with everybody else because it is so profound when people understand that they can step into knowing that there's nothing wrong with them. Like nobody is broken. I don't care what you are wrestling with. There is somebody else out there who's going through the same thing. And it's just a matter of finding someone that you can talk to about it. You don't have to do it on a podcast to everybody, right? Like you don't have to be like you and I. But finding that one person that you can sit down and share your sacred story with. And you will find so much freedom in doing that. And it'll be terrifying. And there will be a part of you that will be like, don't tell anybody. Right? Because that's the part of us that believes we're safer if we keep our secrets. But the more we keep our secrets, the more we stay in this toxic energy. And the more we continue to drown. You make such a good point about how we often classify those in addiction programs like AA and NA as sort of broken people. My dad led those meetings until he died, and I was the little girl playing with blocks in the corner while Carl is sharing a story about hitting rock bottom in a Motel 6 with a prostitute named Ruby or some other extra healthy story for a seven-year-old. But this belief was perpetuated that we aren't like everyone else. We have something wrong inside of us. So that's why we can't pick up just one drink, even if other people can. And I do understand the power of accountability there. But I also have some reservations, given what I've learned about the brain, about affirming this thing. I am an addict every day until you die. Okay, let's let's go down this rabbit hole because this is a good one. So I tried to go to Al-Anon, which is for, you know, family members of, of alcoholics. And, you know, my husband and I both had the very fortunate experience of, of being able to go through a treatment center that really focused on family and focused on connection and, you know, peeling back stories. He went through, you know, intense, I think he was gone for three months. It was pretty intensive. I didn't talk to him then because I was, I was angry, Lisa, then I was working on my own stuff. Um, but I went to therapy myself every single week. And what I loved about those rooms and hated at the same time was there was a tremendous amount of crosstalk. So I was called out on my bullshit. Why do you think that's funny, Lisa? Right? Like I'd laugh about something in my council. I remember she leaned in and she's like, what is funny about that? And it took me to my knees. And it was her way of saying like, you're using humor to hide that you're feeling like shit right now. And we need to talk about this because there's nothing funny about what is happening in your life right now. And where I, I found I got frustrated with Al-Anon and in OA and NA and, you know, AA, there is no crosstalk. So everybody gets to unravel, you know, where they are, but it's kind of this perpetuated belief that something is flawed. So 
recovery from addiction is about commitment to grow as a human being, right? You have to grow as a human being, as an individual. And we have to stop perpetuating this belief that there's something wrong with us. And I think that that is a very hard message to hear at a young age because you were constantly fed that there was something wrong with these people. So I will always be in recovery from codependency, so to speak. I always have to be aware of those behaviors. But I don't think there's anything wrong with me. My husband is always going to need to be in recovery. Like, he can't just go have a drink. That doesn't work for him, right? So he's had to figure out what his truths are and live from that place. But he even was finding that, you know, constantly being in those rooms was not actually helping him grow. It wasn't helping him feel better. And there comes a place where in order for your recovery to go deeper, I believe you really have to be willing to do the deeper work. But it does not surprise me that your father's journey, like how you ended up where you ended up because of where your father was. Make sense? That does make sense. And I've never really thought of it that way. But I I do get that those scenarios can be super helpful for some people, especially with the level of accountability. And that's why AA is so successful. But it's just my belief that I think I would need to move on from viewing myself as an addict and start to visualize something different. Nobody is a victim. Nobody is a victim. And part of overcoming addiction is recognizing you always have a choice. And I think part of what I see perpetuated is believing that, you know, you have a disease, which in some ways you do, but you always have a choice over whether or not you're going to use or not. Always. It's just uncomfortable sometimes to make the the right choice for you. Absolutely. And I get that on one hand, it's true that certain people can't just have one drink. But on the other hand, it's hard for me to eat certain foods without being triggered. So I think we all have our vulnerabilities, just like with bodily diseases. But I believe we all have similar tendencies to attach ourselves to things. And we're all addicts with something. Absolutely. You know, there's that saying that one is too many and 10,000 is never enough. So there's some people who can do enough work on themselves where they can have a drink and they're cool with that. Like I could have a drink now and be totally cool with it. Um, But when it, for me, when it comes to food, there's certain foods I don't eat because I feel like I'm crazy pants for the rest of the day. Like my cravings go off the hook and there's actual hormones running through us that derive those cravings. So we get to, each of us, you, me, everybody in the world gets to choose the things we do want in our lives and the things that maybe we need to abstain from. It's a personal choice, but that's what it means to take radical responsibility for the things in your life that you want or that you don't want based on how you want to live your life and how you want to feel. I always want to feel peaceful and calm and grounded. So why would I eat something that makes me feel like a crazy person? And food can impact you that way, right? Addiction is all about continuing to eat that object of desire or go after that object of desire, even though you know that there's negative consequences attached. You'll still have it. You know you you know it's going to make you crazy and you're still going to have it. And yeah, for me just abstaining from certain foods works best for me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. So the key is to choose the things that you do want in your life instead of focusing on all those things that you don't. Well, now you're focusing on this book. What would you say that the biggest thing that you've gotten out of this whole process is? This is a really great question. So like I said, I never kind of went, oh, I want to, you know, I want to write a book. (laughs) It's not where I started out. And it's been such an amazing journey because this book, although I wrote it for everybody else, has so, it's really become the next stage of my journey because all the work I've done on myself up until now has allowed me to step into this new way of being. So it's require it's requiring that I do things that are still slightly like on the edge for me and uncomfortable, like ask for help, right? Most high achievers are, we struggle to ask for help because we want to look like we got it all together, right? Don't show any vulnerability. That's weakness. Where in fact, that's a strength. So doing more live video, allowing myself to be a leader and an authority Nobody was going to come and knock at my door and say, Lisa, you're ready for this now. I, I am giving myself permission to be that. And every entrepreneur needs to step into that for themselves or wherever you are in your life. Like you get to matter, not because somebody else has told you you have or because you've done all these amazing things, because you decide you get to matter in your life and that you're allowed to do big, bold things. So it's... And it's incredibly vulnerable. Like I thought having online courses was vulnerable, but a book, holy, like when I went to the post office to mail out like my advanced reader copies, which, you know, I found a bunch of errors in them. One, I had to put down my perfectionism instead of tossing the whole box in the garbage and going, well, I can't send these out. There's, I found mistakes, right? Just send send them out, Lisa, just send them out. I sent them out to people I was terrified to send them out to. Like, oh my God, this person is going to hold my book in their hands. And what if they think I'm crap? But it's, again, it's releasing my self-judgment because whether or not they judge me, none of my business. It's been, there's just, there's so many things that it has pushed me on and challenged me on. And I'm so grateful for it. And the the biggest thing for me with this entire book launch is not about how many books am I going to sell? What's the end goal? Like it's great to have those goals, but the outcome matters little to me. I know my work will make an impact. Like I just, I know that because it already has. What matters to me is that I don't abandon myself in the process of launching this book. Meaning at the end of the day, I'm judging myself. I'm shooting all over myself. I'm working 24 hours a day. I'm pushing hard. I don't think I've ever really fully given myself permission to be so present emotionally for myself in a process. 
What do you mean when you say being emotionally present for yourself during this process? So every day checking in, like what felt good for me and what didn't, what's my commitment to myself today, sleeping like nine hours a night because emotionally to stay in the room with yourself, it's exhausting, right? It's tiring being present to all the feels that are coming up, right? Excitement and all that kind of stuff. Being curious about the things that are triggering me, right? Like what kind of things pushed my buttons that I need to just look at? So I'm really making this launch about staying in the process. And if more people in business stayed in the process instead of trying to get there, they would enjoy the journey so much more. And, you know, like you can only have your first baby once. You can only launch your first book once. When all this is said and done, I don't want to look back and go, wow, I I totally, I don't even know what happened. I want to be fully present in every single moment. I want to enjoy every single drop that I'm getting out of this journey. I want to see what's here for me to grow through and what's here to learn through the amazing people I've gotten to connect to like you, like have these cool conversations. I really want to savor the experience. And that saying that the journey is the destination, it is the truth. Like it is the truth. It's not about where you're going to get to. It's about every rich moment along the way. And that is where we find success when we stop seeking the outcome and we start living present to what is here today. And that feels amazing for me because I lived a life of seeking. The funny thing is, sometimes these goals that we have in place that we think are going to make us happy, if we're not really enjoying the journey, is another form of external validation where you're not looking inside of yourself. Right? Trying to fill the hole, trying to fill the void. So you struggled with food. I struggled with working all the time and striving. And, you know, I had to accomplish things. And it didn't matter what I did. It wasn't good enough. To be in a place now in my life and my business where I feel fulfilled and happy I can't even describe that feeling like because for so long I thought, God, am I I'm never like, am I ever going to be really happy? Am I ever going to feel like I'm good enough? And so that's what the book really represents for me is it's really me letting myself fully like just fully take down all the last of the walls and let all the stuff that isn't me just finally fall away. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they'll find more. I'll find more stuff because new level, new devil. But it sure is cool to just really celebrate at the end of every day. Wow, I did that thing. I did that thing I never thought I could do. I've become that person I never thought I could become, right? Like at a, at a, at a deep core level, who I am now compared to who I was six years ago is so, so different because I've let go of all the bullshit, Wow, I love everything you just said, and I feel fired up right now. But I wanted to go back to a point that you said about the vulnerability when putting out a book, because I have definitely been experiencing that level of vulnerability with putting out this podcast. Do you find that it's sometimes harder to release things to close family and friends than it is to release it to the entire world? I've been thinking about why this is a lot lately, and I think it's because of that imposter syndrome where we can look at our friends and family and say, well, they knew who I was before I started this venture. So there's this little voice that says, what if they're saying, oh, she can't do this. She's never done anything like this before, so why can she do it now? Whereas with strangers, they just assume this is who I've been the whole time. It's like hiding in plain sight right? Like I have been the master at hiding in plain sight. So you asked me to do a Facebook live on my business page. No problem. Knock it out of the park. Whatever. I just turn the camera on and go, you tell me you want me to do a Facebook live on my personal page. I'm like, hell no. So that's been another edge that I've pushed, right? Like really. So judgment has been a big thing for me in my life. Right. And it was so easy to point fingers at other people, right? I'm afraid of them judging me. But like I said, you know, if you're, if you're looking at believing other people are judging you, it really is about self-judgment. So it's been about letting go of self-judgment and just giving, like, hashtag giving less fucks in everything I do. Like, if you don't like me, if you don't like my message, totally cool. Turn away, right? Like, go find somebody else to follow. If you do resonate with what I'm saying, follow along. Like, this is... 
this is what's so amazing about today is that we get to pick and choose the people that we want to come into our lives. So I'm not going to change who I am anymore to try and fit into what I think I need to be in order for people to like me or in order for me to belong. I belong to myself. I like myself. And when my head hits the pillow every night, as much as I love my community, I have to love myself more and I have to love myself first. And when we start from that place, we really can do anything. So it doesn't mean that I'm fearless. I got lots of fears. I'm a human being. But I have a lot more courage because I will not abandon myself. No shoulds, right? Like I said, I don't should all over myself. I don't, at the end of the day, berate myself. Why did you say that? You shouldn't have said that. Why did you, oh, you looked like an idiot. I don't do that. There's no negative beating myself up anymore, right? I show up for myself with kindness and compassion every day, and we need to see more of that. Stepping into fear is something I've been working on also, especially getting out there and doing interviews on other people's podcasts. It can feel vulnerable, like we were saying before. So since I've started this process, almost every single day, I've had at least one moment of feeling starkly terrified. And I think some people feel those feelings of fear and wonder if it's their intuition telling them to back off. But I've been making a point to remind myself that if I'm not taking those risks and pushing myself, then I'm just slowing or limiting my growth, not just in business, but as a person. Exactly. It's understanding like fear and doubt. They are like the ultimate wingman. Stop making them wrong. They need to be present, right? Link arms with them. Let's do this and lead from a place of not like, what can I do today that scares me, but what can I do today that helps me feel courageous? That is so much more empowering. And then let fear and doubt come along. Like, Hey guys, we're going to do this. And I'm just going to, I'm going to have some courage because courage is a muscle we can exercise. So like I said, I've been doing these courageous things by reaching out and who do you know? And I want to talk to people and, you know, imagine if I had the courage to reach out to Pat Flynn and say, Hey, I want to be on your podcast. Right? So I didn't reach out to Pat Flynn. But I did reach out to somebody who is an influencer and I said, like, do you know anybody who you could connect me with to speak to? I was not attached to whether or not they said yes or no. It wasn't about that for me. It was about having the courage to make the ask because I would never have done that in the past. So I don't really care how it lands now because at the end of the day, I was like, wow, I did that thing right? Which means it's easier the next time to reach out to the next person and not make it mean anything. Like if they choose not to help me, I'm not taking it personally. It's not about me. I am responsible for me. I'm responsible for asking for what I want and just leaning into that courage. And that felt really, it felt really good. And they haven't gotten back to me yet, right? They may or may not help me. And that's totally cool. But just having the courage to do that fundamentally shifted something for me. Like, okay, I can do more of that. Is there any specific exercise or action that you've done that listeners at home could also do to help them step into that place of courage? Oh, great question. So I think it's really great to start every single day asking yourself that question. What, you know, what can I do that would be courageous today? And it could be, you know, that you reach out to somebody It could be that you tell somebody how you feel about them. It could be that you do a live stream for the first time. It could be that you sit with your feelings instead of feeding them, right? Like that is an act of courage to say, oh my God, I'm going to let myself feel angry because that's scary for people sometimes to feel angry or feel sad. They're afraid of the, you know, the tidal wave is going to take them. So I think that that is a really good place to start from. And then at the end of every day, ask yourself, what did I do? to be kind to myself today. I think that that is so important. So it might be that I didn't beat myself up when I did that first live stream, even though I, you know, like just, just be kind to yourself. That is so powerful in terms of shifting our mindset. And then what can I be curious about? What happened today that I need to be curious about? Where did I see judgment kind of poking up or comparisonitis or, you know, what kind of gremlin was in my head today trying to chirp off? 
what do I need to be curious about? Because all these kind of voices in our heads, you know, these little, you know, I call them gremlins, they're there on purpose. They're not there to make us feel crappy. They're trying to protect us from something. So when we actually have the courage to listen to the voices, like what they're saying to us, right? Like, well, you can't do that because she's already doing that. There's a message and a lesson in there for us. If we just allow ourselves to kind of sink into it. Well, why do I believe that? Why do I believe I can't do this because of her? Why do I believe she's better than me? Oh, why? Like, why don't I feel good enough? What do I need to feel better? What can I work on with myself so that I can be just as good of her as her? And what if she's showing up in my newsfeed to show me what's possible for me? Right? And the universe is trying to say, hey, like, this is for you. So stop comparing yourself and just start putting yourself out there. Nobody needs a unique marketing, you know, this unique marketing position or whatever, because if you are your business, you are your unique marketing piece. Nobody can be you. Nobody has your experience. Nobody has your stories. Nobody has your, your voice, your tone, your way of connecting with people. We need to embrace more of that. I love the notion that something might be showing up for you to show you what's possible in this life. I've never really thought of it that way. And I could really listen to your nuggets of wisdom all day long, but we have got to end the show eventually. (laughs) So where can listeners find out more about you and your book, Let's Eat, that's coming out? Okay, so my book comes out February 20th on Amazon. Um, You can find out about it anytime over on my website at lisacarpenter.ca forward slash book launch. And if you're listening to this after February 20th, there will still be stuff there. And of course, over on my website, just lisacarpenter.ca. And I'm on social media, Facebook, I'm trying to do my thing with Instagram. Some days I get so overwhelmed with all the things of social media. So uh, I'm more consistent on Facebook than I am on Instagram. But I'm, you know, I'm doing my best. Like everybody, I'm doing my best. Aren't we all? And wow, it was like every sentence out of Lisa Carpenter's mouth was pure gold. I loved it. I don't know about you all, but I am inspired to go take on the world right now. So I know our episodes are normally a little bit shorter than this one, but everything was so good. I wanted you guys to have as much value as possible. But I would like to hear what you think. Are you guys cool with these episodes being a little bit longer sometimes? Because the show isn't about me. It's about you guys and how I can give you the most value. For all you listeners who loved this episode as much as I did, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you have a moment, leave a review. I read each and every one of them, and I love hearing from all of you out there. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.